Thanks, Carl. Well, I'll warn you, I took my watch off. <laughs> it's not because I want to be negligent of the time. It's because I was getting high heart rate warnings. <laughs> and I didn't want my watch to automatically call 911. <laughs> um, so I'll just take some deep breaths, and uh, I think we'll be OK. I do promise you this. You will learn this morning what the Holy Spirit has been wanting to teach me. I hope that there's something in there for you too. I also hope your coffee is full, and your kids are checked in, and maybe you had time to look on the question on the board during the transition time. It maybe wasn't even really a question, but you got the idea. If you didn't see it, this is what it was. Fill in the blank. To own what? To own blank, I would sell everything. Did you get a chance to think about what that might be? To own what? To own blank, I would sell everything. It is a tricky question. But I tell you, I was going to use another one, which might have been more tricky. The one I was going to use was, list all the people you would die for. So be glad I chose the own one. <laughs> uh, but the question is a little, a little tricky and maybe even a little offensive. But as I was thinking about it, for me, what would it be? Then it came to me, a lottery ticket, a winning lottery ticket, a ticket that I knew had the right numbers on it. If I had that $100 million ticket in my hand, I'd sell my house, I'd sell my clothes, I'd sell my car, I'd sell the food in the fridge, and I'd take that check to the bank. I don't know what you thought of, but that's what I came up with. But it is a question that may help you to think about what is a priority in your life. Priorities, monies, possessions, all talking about in church. It could be a little easy to get offended this morning. I'm going to try not to be offensive. I took out all the cuss words, I promise. <laughs> but when Jesus was telling stories, he was not afraid to be a little bit offensive. Matthew would even say that Jesus was starting a revolution. He was bringing a new kingdom. Not a kingdom like the first century, century hearers always wanted, but Matthew was not afraid of presenting Jesus as a revolutionary. Someone who is doing something radical. Someone who's introducing something against the norm, against society norms, against the norms of dog eat dog. You get what you deserve. Jesus was bringing about a kingdom that was amazing, a kingdom that was powerful, 
a kingdom that was liberating and perhaps even offensive. At least it made you feel uncomfortable. And we've begun to see some of that discomfort in some of the stories we've looked at this summer so far. Why are you leaving the 99? We're all here, the 99. Why would you go after that one? They went and got lost themselves. Are you telling me my house is on the sand? But Jesus would say, hey, those who have ears, let them hear. Today we encounter four simple sentences, two little stories, and Matthew presents them back to back with lots of parallels. So they do seem to be a pair. And as we've been looking at parables the last few weeks, we've been following a bit of a system. We look for ways of applying some sort of loose allegorical lens to try to understand what the original hearers would have heard, to identify a principle that could span time and culture, and therefore be something that we could apply to daily life. So let's do the same with these two little stories and see if we can discover a story worth living by. Okay, do we have the text on the screen? There it is, awesome. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Now, commentary, commentators tell us that this is something pretty normal in the ancient Near East. I don't know if it's common today, but apparently back in the day, this was pretty common. No banks, no safety deposit boxes. If you had something of value that you needed to secure, um, you hid it. You hid it in your house, you hid it in your field, you hid it in a cave, you hid it under a tree, and you knew where it was, and that was your pin. That was the safety, is that you knew where that hidden treasure was. Now, unfortunately, invaders would come in, people would pass away, and it tend, it, God, historians tell us that there's treasures hidden all over the place of people that either forgot or left town or weren't able to have that field anymore. And so the original hearers, as they hear about the kingdom of heaven being like a treasure hidden in the field, they would be like, oh yeah, I know about this. This is awesome. This is a cool story. I wish I was that guy who was just walking down through that field and all of a sudden kick, oh, what treasure, look at that. Found the treasure hidden in the field. The original hearers would have been interested, engaged, and would have been like, yeah, I wish that was, that story's about me, I wish. So what did this finder do, this incidental finder? Well, when they found it, this is a little sneaky, but you could ask yourself what you, would, what you would do. They hid it somewhere else. Sneaky. They hid it somewhere else, and then they went and bought the field. In their joy, went and sold all that he has and buys the field. And our original hearers would have been like, yeah, awesome, finders, keepers. Uh, even though they're, they're, the story is a little sneaky, they would have thought this was a story that they want to connect with. 
this is a story that they wish happened to them. This is a story they want in on. The second story, however, is a little different. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. Now, we tend to hold those who buy and sell in great esteem in our society. Not always uh, that case in the ancient Near East. Those who were merchants, those who were buying and selling, could be a little suspect. One, there's the whole case of their honesty, where they've given you a good price, that. But also, they were less connected to the land, to family. They would travel. They would go into distant land, buy things, bring them back. There was the idea of a merchant uh, in the ancient Jewish mind has a bit of a like, hmm, okay. Uh, I'm not so sure about this one. But the merchant is in search of fine pearls. And let me tell you, pearls are the Lamborghini of the ancient world. I mean, there's gold and there's silver and there's rubies and there's diamonds and all that stuff. But the rich, the uber rich, they got pearls. So we have this kind of maybe suspect uber wealthy merchant. And they are in search of fine pearls. They find one pearl of great value and they went and sell all they had and they bought it. Our original hearers would hear this as hmm, almost reckless. They're, if a merchant sells everything, they're no longer a merchant. They've invested, they put everything in one basket. They've, and the tense here of, of sold all is like literally all, hyperbolic, hyperbolic all. They sold their house, they liquidated their cash, they sold their donkey, they cleaned everything out just so they could own this one pearl. And our original hearers would be like, crazy guy. Reckless, maybe even absurd. So the responses to these two stories, the first one you'll be like, oh yeah, I wish that was me. And the second one is like, really? That guy, that's a funny story. So while there's lots of differences, their response to this treasure, their response to the event that happened to them is the same. They sell everything to obtain their treasure. They have a radical, sacrificial action. So what is the timeless principle and what is just part of the story? What needs to remain 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world and what can guide us here today? We need spirit to help us. We need each other. We need the spirit in each other. So God, we pray that you would guide us through these words, guide us to what you would have us learn, guide us to understanding, and guide us to action. When I was a teenager, I worked in an auction barn in rural Ontario. The sales were sometimes dairy cows, and the sales were sometimes estate auctions. And I remember one particular estate sale 
where we were visited by a very peculiar buyer. My job was to bring out the items and to hold them up to the crowd. So I'd bring out a vase, and the auctioneer would start, who, uh, who will give me $10, $10, who will give me 10 I have 10 give me 15 who's got 15 15 there, 15 20 do I have 20 20 20 20 Sold $50 to the man in the ball cap. I would bring out a painting. And the auctioneer, who will give me 35 35 do I have 35 40 40 40 $60 to the man in the ball cap. And it went on on and on like that all night. He bought probably more than half of the items I would bring out to the crowd. Until we got to the last item. It was an old school bus. Who will give me $1,000, $1,000? Do I see 1,000, 1,000? Who's got the two, 2,000, 2,000? Sold $5,000 to the man in the ball cap. And I spent the rest of the evening carrying all the man's items out to that school bus. But really, what really struck me is when I went back into the barn and I overheard a conversation with the auction manager as he was speaking to one of the family members of the estate. And he was preparing the check that was the family's portion of the sale. And I overheard these words. The family member looked up and said, I didn't realize how much all this stuff would be worth. And the, the administrator replied, well, it's worth what someone will pay for it. I'm gonna suggest that these two stories the story of the treasure in the field and the story of the pearl merchant, they hold this gem. And the gem is what they have in common. Understanding something's true value should lead to radical action. Understanding something's true value should lead to radical action. So who gets to decide something's true value? That's the question, right? Is it the next merchant that comes along? Well, yeah, but also no. The true value in a kingdom comes from, like the coinage that might have been in that treasure in the field, what the king says it's worth. So the question that travels time and culture is will we put down our understanding of treasures and pearls and let the king decide ultimate value? Matthew would say, seek first the kingdom. Could we align our priorities with the kingdom priorities? And remember this, the kingdom is somewhere where the king reigns. It's not a line drawn on a map. It's a place where the king is the reign, the ruler. So when I choose kingdom ways, the way of Jesus, the way of love, then I am choosing kingdom 
in my little sphere of influence, in the connection points between you and me. I am making that kingdom space. When we pray, let your kingdom come on earth as in heaven, we're, we can do it by choosing to let the king reign here in the space between us. I don't know if you remember this, but Keith Green, is anyone Keith Green? Ah, okay, so there was a cassette that my parents had in the car in the 80s, and we listened to it a lot. And I'm gonna try to, here we go. Do you remember this one? Jesus rose from the grave, but you, you can't even get out of bed. And as a 12-year-old, I just thought that was the funniest thing. Jesus rose from the grave, I can't get out of bed. <laughs> And you know, getting out of bed is, isn't my problem. But sometimes I don't want to get off the couch, both metaphorically and, and physically. I don't want to get off the couch even to help a loved one. Even for someone whose I say I put their needs above my own. Love, putting someone's needs above your own. It's hard for me. But the example of Jesus is clear. It's love. And it's steep. <laughs> love. Jesus is love. But it's also next. Doesn't matter what I've done in the past. It's what I'm going to do next. Can I do the next right thing? Can I do the next loving thing? Can I do the next kingdom thing? So as spirit calls, and as there's opportunity for kingdom, for love, I pray that I take it. I pray that you take it. I pray that we don't try to decide value of treasures or pearls or Lamborghinis or whatever it is. That's, we leave that work of value assigning to the king. And how do we know what the king's values are? Well, there is a book. Um, but there is also the king himself. And that king will get out of bed in the middle of the night to answer our prayers. Who do we love? Well, we love who Jesus, Jesus loved. What about the annoying ones? Yeah, I think so. What about the refugees? The ones with different color skin than ours, different genders, different theological views. Yeah. What about sinners? It's in the book. Beloved, beloved. So much that he thought they were worth dying for. But maybe the person who's most difficult to love whose value we doubt the most is our own. I'm not lovable. I'm not worthy. Well, brothers and sisters, that's not what's in the book. You are beloved. With immense value because it's not because of what you've done, because the king says so. So in closing, 
hope this wasn't too offensive. And I hope the Spirit will give you, will give me, something practical to practice with. Some baby steps, some baby kingdom steps, even today. And I might even need to get off the couch. So love one another, love your neighbors, love your enemies, let God determine value, let God determine your priorities. Because that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's worth selling all. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.